was made a state ward by the court, said to an institution when I was 12, there was always the constant threat of violence, and violence was quite common in and of itself, either perpetrated by the boys or the staff or both. Police never came in to investigate anything. Mount Eden Prison is a huge, is massively different to, to a boys' home security unit. It's a whole different kettle of fish. Dear Heavenly Father, please watch over me and the brother here and speak through us and watch over everybody watching right now. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, my brother, so what's your name and where are you from? Well, my name is Alan Adams and I'm originally from Auckland, but I've been living down in Wellington now for over a year or so, so yeah. So an Auckland boy at heart. Yeah, yeah, don't bother. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, um, bro, welcome to the show, brother. How's your day going anyway? Oh, cool, cool. Just um, just kicking back at home, and it's wet and cold outside. So, yeah, how lucky are we? Eh? How lucky are we, man? It's pretty cold and wet out here in Auckland too, my bro. But yeah, man. So this is Alan Adams here, man. So um, big uh, appreciation, bro, for taking some time out of your day, bro, to jump on the show, man. Um, the brother here's got an awesome story to tell. Well, not an awesome story. Well, in the end, you know what I mean. He's gonna go uh, coming out on top, man. So that's the most important part. Um, but the brother actually has written a book um, on his life, um, which includes um you know decades behind bars unfortunately um you know as you'll come to see you know the brother here actually has over 400 um criminal convictions as he's been done in the court with um he's labeled as you know one of new zealand's most prolific burglars um that's the label anyway in the media but we know how they are but um the brother actually um also has a story um you know coming through state care um, first-hand witness to um, the abuses and the atrocities that happen inside of those places, which often leads people to a life of crime. Currently in New Zealand, there's a Royal Commission going, in, um, going on about, you know, abuse in state care. So see how that turns out, you know, but it's definitely um, no surprise to brothers like Al Alan here and, you know, many other people that's been on this show that, you um, you know, a lot of a lot of people have been let down by the state, unfortunately. Um, and Alan can can testify to that. And um, you know, you've written a book now, haven't you, brother? You see, I have, yeah. Um, took me well, my last prison sentence was um I said six years of my six year sentence at Romataka Prison and for about three years of that I spent writing my book as Actually, part of my ACC-funded counselling, it was it was all it was all part of a therapeutic process that I went through. And as you'll also come to see, um, he's actually had a bit of um, trouble publishing that book as well. So um, there are powers that be in the world that don't really want this sort of stuff coming out, man. Especially you know some of the things that the brother here has been through himself, um, including sexual abuse, you know, um, things that he's witnessed in there. Um, you know, obviously, to people that have viewed the show, people don't just choose a life of crime. You know what I mean? There's um, there's a lot of backstory to it, um, a lot of which the public doesn't see, you know, which is very unfortunate. But 
you know, we're, we're, we're fighting the good fight, man. And we're, we're, we're getting it out there. And, um, you know, there's definitely a shift in the air, bro, which is very good to see, um, in regards to this whole system and the, um, how it is basically corrupt to the core. So, um, yeah, brother, I mean, I guess to start us off with my bro, so born in Auckland, was it bro? So grew up in Auckland and then, um, how did that sort of go for you? You know? Well, like a lot of kids, I, I grew up in quite a violent family environment. Um, alcohol and drugs and physical abuse were quite common. Um, of course, I had difficulties at school as well. And by the time I was 12, I was just, I don't know, just an angry kid, really. I, there were things that I didn't understand, but, you know, I... I was quite angry and I I ended up taking my anger out on my school, which was unfair. But at the time, in my 12-year-old brain, I decided that if I burnt my school down, <laughs> I wouldn't have to go there again because I hated the place so much. Whether that all that hate was correctly directed or not, yeah. But that's that's basically how I entered state care. Um, I was made a state ward by the court um, and sent to an institution when I was 12. I got taken away from my family immediately um, and put into an institution called Wesley Lale Boys Home in Mount Waskill in Auckland. So that was for boys 13 and under. It was a short stay, what you would term a remand institution or a short stay institution so how was that man walking into there being with those other kids man like how many other kids were there and uh at the time about 30 to 40 kids L living there like being being on remand there yep for various reasons we were all the, the thing was was that we were all there for different reasons like some some kids were there like me they were sent by the court or um, they were there for their own protection or they come from bad families themselves, which is a common factor, you know, um, amongst most of the kids here. We, none of us came from ideal home lives, but in hindsight, none of us deserved to be put in, put in the way of harm that we were. Um, you soon learn it was a, it's a massive culture shock. Like when you when you go into an institution, it's like it's like you enter a whole new world. It's not with new rules. Um, like from day from day to day, there was there was always the constant threat of violence, and violence was quite common in and of itself, either perpetrated by the boys or the staff or both. Um, and of course, although my first stay in Wesleydale Boys' home, I I didn't encounter any pedophiles. There were certainly things that occurred in there that, you know, in hindsight, clearly there were pedophiles working in there. So um, usually, like like for instance. Probably the hardest thing for me when I first went there was just learning the ropes, how to survive in there, and um, 
and yeah, but probably probably the worst, probably one of the first things I noticed was we had to go and you had to have communal showers. So what would happen then was was that all the boys would sort of line up outside the bathroom just in their towels and stuff, and there would be one staff member, a male staff member, standing where he could watch all the boys showering. And some of the some of the staff members, <laughs> um, let's just say they looked a bit too, you know, they they were eyeing eyeing us up, you know. It was like it's pretty. If I think about it now, it was all pretty predatory. I mean, I only encountered like my first day. I stayed on Wesleydale for about a month when I was twelve, and for that time. I had, like, there was violence that was perpetrated against me that was instigated by a staff member simply because they didn't like me. <laughs> um, so he, a staff member took me and another boy down to the gym, I, I assumed, for cleaning the gym, but um, it was really so the staff could watch while the other boy attacked me pretty much, and I... Yeah, so both, but those things were pretty standard. Um, but it was usually, when I look back now, it was usually the most vulnerable kids who were preyed upon by the pedophiles or who who became targets. Man, well, so so after after staying in that institution, bro, what sort of what sort of happened from there? Well, surprisingly. And to be well balanced, um, all all of the my second placement was, and by this, and I still actually wasn't officially a state ward at this time. I was still on remand, the equivalent to being remanded in prison on in custody. This is for children. So, um, my second placement was much better, and I mean, I could, I could paint a biased black picture of everything that happened to me in state care, but I won't. And it, basically what happened there, I didn't go to school. Um, at about 5 o'clock every morning I'd get up and my foster father, Bruce, he drove a logging truck in the Woodhill Forest and um, had a waste thinning contract there, so he had, or production thinning. He had, yeah, they'd thin out the trees and... But basically, every day while I was there, I would Monday to Friday, I would go with Bruce. I would I'd basically be in the logging truck with him all day, <laughs> which was cool. I mean, I was a twelve-year-old boy, and I was here. I was I was surrounded by trucks, heavy machinery, and uh, I was out in the bush. And I was and Bruce. Bruce was a really cool guy. I, I have to admit, and if. If I'd been allowed to stay there, you know, on a more permanent basis, I mean, it was, it was, I'd inadvertently been provided by the system with what I needed. And basically, I, I just needed to be in a, in a home surrounded by love, not necessarily like I didn't expect, obviously, they didn't love me, but they did care for me very much. And just the fact that, I was surrounded, I was in a loving family and I was surrounded by love was 
would have been hugely would have was exactly what I needed as a kid. Well, so how was it when you were taken from um, from that family, bro? I was. Well, I remember the day. Actually, I remember the day. I knew it was coming. I knew where I was going. How old were you at this point, bro? Still twelve. Still twelve. I'd only I'd only been in that ended up being in that foster placement for two months, you know, and and on the day that I that my social worker came to get me, to escort me down to Napier, um, she said to me, um, she asked first she asked the question. It was like, do you want to go? And I was like put on the spot, not because it was a difficult question to answer, because the truth would have been no. If, if I'd said the truth, I would have said, no, I don't want to go, I want to stay here. But I already knew that I was going. And in my 12-year-old brain, this was just like being in an institution, really. This was a staff member asking me a question, and I had to give the right answer or else things would go get worse for me. So... I, I I was I, I I had to think. I paused and I thought, and what's the right answer? And then I figured it out. The right answer was for me to tell my social worker that I want to go. So that's what I did. If I'd said to my social worker that I didn't want to go, um, when I got to Big House, um, I would have I would have immediately been labelled as anti, you know, and I would have come under a bit of special attention from the staff, they would have been, yeah. Wow. So, so you just, you, you had no power, you had no choice. You just went where they, where they put you. And supposedly um, the institution that I was going to, Beck House, was, was, for, was designed for children with what they termed behavioural difficulties or emotional disturbances. Um, basically, kids have been abused somewhere else, dealing with the after effects of it. So, supposedly, they were supposed to help us at this institution, but I got no help there. I, I none of the, to be to be fair, none of the staff were, as I later found out, trained in any particular way to help anyone. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so. Big house. <laughs> yeah, that's... So yeah. that's where it got pretty dark, was it, brother? In the, uh, so that's located in the Hawke's Bay? Hawke's Bay, yep. So how was that, bro, walking in, in there, brother? How was it walking into that place? Um, not as... Initially, not as bad as when I first walked into Wesleydale, because when I first walked into Wesleydale, I had no idea. I was totally green. Um, when I first walked into Big House, there were, of course, a, there were a few boys from Wesleydale who were there as well, who'd gone there, who, who, who'd gone there earlier, and and it was good. And it was, I was sort of greeted like an old friend. They were like, "Where, where have you been?" And all of this. And I mean, the other boys were, yeah, I, I, I was not so green now, so I knew what to expect, and I had a fair idea you know, what was going on. I knew what was going on. I didn't know. And no one no one helped you out. There was no induction. There was no, no. Um, when you first walked into an institution, they didn't 
tell you anything. Basically, um, all I was told in Wesleydale when I first walked in the door um, after my strip search and my thing, well, I was told to stand on this mat in front of his desk in the duty office in Wesleydale, and all the staff said, looked up at me and write some, something down on this huge book. And then all I was told was, oh, you'll do what you're told or else. That, that was it. Bro, that's horrific, brother. That is that, crazy. These are children. These are children. And, yeah, I mean, there are things that are common with all institutions, like inherently um, their loveless places, cold places. Yeah. In the, in the five institutions I was in, I ended up being in, um, I had three encounters of three different pedophiles, unfortunately. And that was by far harder for me to cope with than the violence and the threat of violence. I mean, these things are hard, um, but I would have rather been given a hiding than, you know, fall victim to a pedophile. So, yeah. But, of course, there was something else about Beck House that was different to Wesleydale. They had what was called a um, – the modern term was a seclusion room, but back in the day it was simply the time-out room. And this is where they would take you and they'd lock you into this room, and all the seclusion room or time-out room in Beck House was was that it was it – was, there was like a garage for the institution's van – and in the same building, like half of the garage was the timeout room, so it was separate from the main institution buildings. It was sort of across the drive, and about, and all that was in this room was it was basically varnished chipboard walls, um, like the and floor, and like the top third of the timeout room was painted pink. It was supposed to calm you down. <laughs> Don't think it. Sure really did that and often like often the staff would go to like if a kid resisted going to the timeout room I mean I, I can remember kids being dragged by the hair in there you know dragged along the ground of course we didn't really get to see what happened inside the timeout room but all the kids knew when someone was getting taken there the, the room stunk at you and it was cold Half the time the light in there didn't work, so it was pretty dark. Yeah, I remember the day. I remember, you know, there was um, one of the some. The staff decided it would be a good idea that they um, have a, like a celebration every time a boy got to go home. Um, so there was like a special meal, and we all everyone went into the dining room, and all the staff were there, and I was I was by this time I was quite anti about the whole thing, and I. I, my thought process was, why the f does he get a party just because he gets to go home, you know? So I, I, I just, I quite calmly, I just turned around and said, oh, I was speech, you know? <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I wasn't causing a ruckus or anything, but, um, yeah, the senior social worker, um, decided to put me in a timeout room that <laughs> I was spoiling the day. Um, and uh, while all the kids and all the staff were in the dining room, um, he took me 
to the timeout room and the way he took me, he literally lifted me off my feet and, you know, half dragged me in there and I, I wasn't fighting or resisting because by this time I knew what the timeout room was all about. I went to the, he took me in there and I was just expecting him to lock the door and go like normal. Um, but he stood, he's, he stood sort of, with the door half open, sort of looking back towards the institution and watching, sort of look, watching me at the same time. And then I was just standing there and he, in, in the room and then he, he told me to strip. And, of course, I didn't question it because when the staff told you to do something, you just did it. By this time, I was absolutely terrified. I, I froze to the spot. Um, I couldn't even... Couldn't even speak. I was, and then, yeah. Well, obviously, all that was going through my mind the whole time, you know, was no, no. I was going no, no, no in my head, but I was, I, I was so terrified that I couldn't speak. I, I was just frozen to the spot. Um, in the moment he, I didn't actually know what was going to happen until it happened. But when it happened, I knew what was happening. I remember afterwards, yeah, yeah, it was, I I was by far the most terrifying experience of my life, you know. um, I went beyond my, I didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with it. I, the last, I, I, I only stayed at Big House for a month after that, i I've been there for about a year and a half already. So, so as I said, in in those places they pick their targets, and then they, given the opportunity and the correct target, they'll. Um, so I, the last month from Big House, I I have very little memories of it. Even today, even even now, it's one patch in my life where. There is literally no no memory of it. It's a blank. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, so. brother. So, like, well, can you touch on it all? Um, well, so just to fast forward a little bit, bro. So you you know you've gotten compensation and things like that, bro. So like, have have they sort of been able to track that bloke down, bro? Or yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. This particular person, um, Vivian Mule, I know that of two other boys who have laid complaints of the police against them, and of five other boys who have not gone as far as laying a complaint against against them, but have made a claim through the Ministry of Social Development for compensation because of something that he did to them. And they're all of the same nature. They're all of, yeah, the same nature. And this, these are just the people that have spoken up, obviously. Only the ones that have come forward, that have taken the hard step of going forward, you know. And it is a hard step. And I don't, I fully understand why a lot of, a lot of people don't. It's really hard. Um, but what what's driving me is that coming out with my story is is that really the best thing is to prevent 
children from getting hurt in the first place and you know it's my in my view, in my view of children of, of the safer our children are the safer our society will be that, oh, that's brother 100 my bro i mean that's definitely something we preach man on the show brother you know what i mean it's definitely um what you've just said there you know what I mean? Um, to people that have watched the show, mate, just so many people, you know what I mean, suffered at the hands of the state. And unfortunately, bro, the, they create the criminals, you know what I mean? And then they offer they offer us the solutions through prisons and things like that to problems that they'll started in the first place, man. You know what I mean? So it's it's just, it's insane, man. I mean, bro, so was that guy prosecuted at all or? No. Um... The official reason from the letter that I've had from the police is that due to the credibility issues of the complainants, um, they are not going to take any action. Taking a deeper look into my offending and what, you know, that made me realise that when I did a burglary, it made me feel in in control. It, It made me put me in control, gave me power. I felt empowered by what I was doing. And and from from a rape victim where I felt powerless and that powerlessness was ingrained into me. I and I was just yeah, the, the and the fear. The really I I've been through everything I've I've had had to deal I've carried a massive load of fear and that for for a very long time and for me to let go of that has also meant that I've been able to let go of my anger I've been able to let go of my depression all all of the things that stem from that all all of the all of that stuff I just and the the, the counseling has just helped me to let go of it you know I don't I mean I'm poor I don't have much money, but I'm not going out to do a burglary just because I don't have much money. You know, that's I'm not doing a burglary anymore because I've let go of the primary reasons behind my offending. All those years, I was only capable of dealing with what was immediately in front of me. You know, and that's that was it. And and sometimes I didn't even deal with that very well. You know. Yeah. I mean, brother, you've come a long way, man. It's, you know, it's inspiring, my bro. And um, again, you know, you touch on this in, in your book, brother. I, um, well, if you don't mind, bro, you know, I also will leave, you know, a way to contact you through your email if you're comfortable with that, bro, just for anyone that's wanting to reach out to the brother here, any publishers or anything like that, um, any sort of social workers that want to reach out, um, they can definitely contact you through there. So I'll leave that in the description um, and the comments. And um, bro, just hearing that, it just makes me think as well of, you know, just the whole way that the criminal justice system works, bro. You know what I mean? Um, like to me, um, uh, people going inside for, you know, Agbergs, you know, armed robbery, um, you know, awful though those crimes are, it'll never make sense to me that someone going in for armed robbery or agberg will get longer than a pedophile. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that just makes no sense, mate. A pedophile should be getting twice as long as an armed robber, mate. Should be getting twice as long 
as anybody going in for those sorts of things, bro, because they destroy lives, mate. You know what I mean? 20, 30 years it takes to to come back from the damage that a pedophile has done, bro. You know yeah. what I mean? So it makes no sense to me that, um, you know, people in for those sort of crimes get longer than what a pedophile gets, bro. They should get twice, if not three times as long as most of these other crimes, man. It's just insane, brother. Yeah, you're right. And we're often, often in prison, we will be talking about that. Why the f***, you know? And often it was a point of anger. And, I mean, the thing that I, main thing that I noticed in prison, like, um, in my last couple of years there, like, after I let go of all my sh you know, was the fact that I noticed, I saw the other boys around me in a different way. I, I, I noticed all the anger depending on how big that baggage is or how negatively it affects you, you've, the best way is just to let go of it. But, of course, and that can be hard. Letting go is hard. It was hard for me. I mean, I, I found I had a medium through my writing which I used to help me let go. But, you know, I think I think for everyone, they just it's, it's a hard thing to do, but it's worthwhile. And by far, letting go of all of that that I carried for so long has been the most worthwhile thing that I've done in my life. Now I'm not going back to jail, and I mean, people can go, oh, yeah, you have all these convictions, and, and oh, yeah, sure, right, you're not going back to jail, but I'm not, you know, and I, and I know this now. Yeah. yeah. 100% only onward and upward from here brother you know the journey begins my bro you know once um you know the journey's just beginning from here brother um well you know from here bro do, do you mind touching at all you know what I mean of your time in jail bro and, and and over the years bro how that sort of was man some and some my first sentence was probably my hardest um I I was in, um, I was, I just turned 16 and I was in the Oalaka Boys Home Secure Unit. And um, I was, it was my first appearance in a district court. So I got escorted to the Auckland District Court and um, everyone thought, oh, you, you're going to get corrective training. I was expecting three months corrective training. Um, but the judge turned around and gave me 12 months imprisonment. And I remember how shattered I felt. And and it was like, but the boys' home, the Mount Eden prison, is a huge, is massively different to to a boys' home security unit. It's a whole different kettle of fish. You know, you, it's like you're green all over again. You know, and it's the prison environment. Yeah, harder. Well, harder. How, how was that man talking? Uh, walking into there, bro. Intimidating, um, very. I wouldn't say frightening, but I would say, yeah, just intimidating. But walk, you walk into Mount Eden, you, you that that big steel door slides open, and 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 the van drives in and slides shut. All you're seeing is these um, like tall stone walls, stone walls, stone buildings, very cold, very forbidding. And for me, when I was 16, when I, again, it was like going into the boys' home for the first time. I didn't, I had no clue. And after, after about a month, I just slipped into a really deep despair. I, I, it was like, I ended up 
seeing myself as a freak and a monster and all of these things that happened to me because I was a freak and a monster, it was my fault and I didn't want to be around anymore. I decided at 16 that I wanted to be dead. I preferred to be dead. And that was my first, I, I made a very serious suicide attempt, um, almost succeeded. The, when I was pulled out of my cell at night, I was unconscious. You know, I, I only remember waking, regaining consciousness outside the cell. Like, did you, or did, or did you have to watch out for predators in prison as well, bro? Was it like that as well? Or? Yes. Especially during my first prison sentence, yes. Um, this, was a, this was the last time that anyone ever managed to force anyone sexually upon me. Um, yeah, I was, yeah. But let's just say that after, after that event that happened to me in Waikilia prison on the same sentence, I was transferred down there later because Waikilia was called Waikilia Youth Institution at the time, which was basically, it used to be a borstal, but they just called the borstal something else, but it was still a borstal pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but yeah, unfortunately I was put in a, dangerous situation in Waikiria prison and an older prisoner raped me as well. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> threatened to kill me if I told anyone. But from that point onwards, I learned how to keep myself safe in jail, you know, um, not to... <sighs> I, I hardened up. I had to. Had to, bro. You had to. But yeah, from that from that point on, my life has followed a very similar pattern. It's gone from my pattern was I get out, I'd be reoffending within a month. Um, then I'd go back to prison, and yeah, and I, I honestly, I wasn't even capable of caring. I once I learned how to survive in prison, it wasn't really a deterrent at all for me. It was, yeah. Like for many, many years on the outside and in prison, I viewed everyone as a potential threat to me, you know. And that's how I saw other people which which enabled me to rob them, you know, because I, I would justify myself by saying, oh, yeah, I'm only burgling business premises and the insurance company will pay for it and no one's actually living there, so it's not that bad. But, you know, I'd use all of those things to justify what I've done to make to make myself feel better. But, yeah, there's, it's, it's how I view people that enabled that. You know, they were just potential threats, you know. Oh, yeah, 100%, my bro, 100%. It's, bro, you know, after your story, man, of what you've just shared, bro, it's beautiful just to see you having a smile on your face, bro. You know what I mean? And um, having that attitude, bro, of... um wanting to to give back and man and and change things i mean um well we're actually coming to the end here now brother so i mean um what well, what well, what is the name of that book my bro what's going to be the name of it oh well, i've titled it it's simply called damaged i've called it damaged i i was i got it down to two titles so i've 
I didn't think of a title till after I'd written it, you know, but I came down to Into Darkness or Damaged. So I decided to call the book Damaged, which is, and call one of my chapters Into Darkness. So, right. Well done, bro. I mean, um, bro, look look out for that family. Look out for that book, man. Hopefully it's going to be a next bestseller, man, because, um, you know, with the whole Royal Commission that's going on at the moment, man, this is a, a book that um, definitely needs to get out there, my bro. So, um, again, you know, the brother here's actually have been having a bit of trouble publishing um, this book, you know, he is going to um, put it out anyway. He's learning about the ebooks and um, putting it out that way. But yeah, if anyone does sort of know any publishers and um, or anything like that, man, um, definitely again, I'll leave the brother's contact details. Um, I'll leave his email in the description and the comments. So yeah, feel free to to shoot him a message. I'm sure he'll be glad um, to hear from you. And that's anyone, you know, anyone wanting to reach out to the brother here, um, definitely do that. But um. Mm -hmm. Brother, you know, thank you for sharing your a, a bit of your story, bro. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that that book, bro, and I'm um, being able to read that. And, um, bro, if I'm ever in Wellington, man, we'll definitely be catching up for a coffee, my brother. Yeah, nah, for sure. I mean, I love out of Miramar. It's quite nice, Eddie. Right out by the airport. You don't, you don't have far to go if you're flying down. <laughs> nice nice yeah no, i know Mira, my brother for sure yeah no well most definitely man i'll, I'll pop in and, and say hello man but um until then my brother uh much love man much respect and um we'll, we'll talk soon anyway my brother cool for sure it's been good talking to you and i hope you know things yeah get better you know i'm sick the part part of it is like you know i've hurt so many people for so long and now i want to do the opposite and this is just you know yeah 100 I, I don't want to hurt them and that's that's where i'm at you know beautiful my brother all right man well peace bro and we'll talk soon all good all good dave we'll catch up later brother <laughs>